Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, if you're able, I want you to get on your feet and pray with me this morning. Come on, let's lift our voice in prayer this morning. Thank you, Jesus. If you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, just pray out in the Spirit. If you don't know what to say, just say the name Jesus. Come on, let's pray. Lord, give us ears to hear. Lord, would you pour out your spirit afresh anew in our day. Lord, let the fire of Pentecost fall. Let it burn, Jesus. Let the fire of heaven burn. Let the fire of God is an all-consuming fire. Lord, let it burn. Let your fire burn on the altars of our lives today. Lord, rekindle, reignite, fan into flame. Stir up the flame. Stir up the fire. Stir up the ashes, the embers that have died low today, oh God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 It's good to see you this morning in the house of the Lord. Tell somebody you look pretty miraculous today. Come on, tell somebody nearby you say you look pretty miraculous. You woke up breathing. Uh, you woke up breathing today, didn't you? You, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord. If you have your Bibles, you can go to First Kings chapter eighteen. I have been wrestling with two different messages this morning, and I would I would imagine they'll probably interweave at some point. But we'll just see where this goes. I, I, this morning, I felt like the Lord was challenging me to maybe go a little bit different direction than what I had initially planned. But in 1 Kings chapter 18, I, I, I mentioned this story last week uh, as I was preaching, and it stirred in me, and, and I've just revisited it this week. And, and I thought it was going to be for personal, just personal edification, and the more that I stirred around in this, the more I felt like the Lord was stirring something and was speaking through this passage for the day in which we live. In 1 Kings 18, we find the story, you're probably familiar, where Elijah faces off with the prophets of Baal. We're going to get there, we're going to read it, but what you have to understand a little bit going into it is the backstory. The backstory is that there was a drought and a famine in the land, one of the worst that they had faced to the degree that Ahab actually was sending out Obadiah at the start of 1 Kings 18, if you, if you go in and you study this, Obadiah is one of the minor prophets, lived at the same time of Elijah. Ahab is sending him out to examine the, if there's any streams that have water. Are there any creeks? Are there any cricks? Are there any rivers? There's anything that has water flowing in it that maybe they can prevent from killing off all of the livestock that's still living. That's how bad and how severe of a situation they were facing. It reminds me, if we fast forward to the day in which we live, it kind of reminds me where we're at today and that it's not necessarily a famine or a drought, but it's something severe that people have maybe gotten their focus off of what God is saying and what God is doing onto the problem that they're facing. They had gotten their eyes, got their attention off the Lord and, and what God was speaking over them and got their eyes onto the problem. 
How do I know that? We're going to read it. But I, I, I just want to set that background for you as we get into this because it's important to know that because of the, the problem and the situation, even the people of God were wavering in their faith. Heather read a verse this morning I thought was really powerful that we are overcomers by our what? By our faith. What is faith? What does that mean? I just want to just, I'm going to talk very pastorally this morning, but that faith is our percept, it's our perceptivity, it's our sensitivity, it's our, it's the awareness of spiritual realities. Faith, it's tangible. The Bible says in Hebrews 11 that it's a substance, it's tangible. Faith is tangible. It's not an abstract idea. Faith is not something that we talk about, we, we name or claim, and any of those things. Faith is a tangible reality. It's a substance. It, it, just like this pulpit has substance, faith has substance. You can't see it, but it has substance. I'll keep going. But So faith is the evidence, substance, the tangible reality of things not seen. So it brings this tangible reality, the evidence, the reality of who God is. And so we are overcomers because of our reality of who God is in our life. So when you face something that you have to overcome, you can't be an overcomer unless you face something that you have to overcome, right? You have to have a test and to have a testimony, a trial. We know all those catchy sayings, right? You've got to... You've got to face something that's hard in order to be an overcomer. But when you face that, we don't face it with uncertainty. We face it with a reality. When Elijah faced the prophets of Baal, he wasn't doing so with uncertainty. There was faith. There was a reality of who God was and is and ever shall be in his life, that he could, he could step up to the plate with those prophets and say, this is what God's going to do. So let's pick up the story. Let's, let's go to verse 19 of 1 Kings 18. I would encourage you to go this week at some point and read the whole chapter. There's a lot here. But we're going to pick up in verse 19. It says, Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of the Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. We, we remember Jezebel. She was earlier in, in verse 4, I believe. Uh, even it's, it, it, yes, verse 4. It says that she was, I love the description here, massacring all of the prophets and the people of God. Jezebel's table. So all of these prophets of Baal, all of the prophets, these are, well, let's just say they're caught up in debauchery. You can go study it. It's, it's quite disgusting, all that these prophets were involved with, these false prophets. In verse 20, it says, so Ahab sent for all the children of Israel. Uh, by the way, verse 19, let me just say, if you go and study that, you'll, you'll see quite the connection between the modern day where we live and those prophets. If I, if I could summarize it in one word, it, they, were, they were all trying to find pleasure in this life and worshiped pleasure at, at the epitome. The, it, was all, it was all about 
the, the sex gods and epitome of trying to find pleasure in the temple, desecrating the house of God, desecrating and setting up temples, idols of uh, Baal worship, cutting themselves, temple prostitutes, all in the house of God, that they had set up Baal worship. Tell me that's not a problem. God will always get recompense. Anyway, let's just keep going. And so Ahab sent for all the children of Israel, gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel, and Elijah came to all the people and said, underline this, Elijah has come to the people of God and he says, how long will you falter between two opinions? How long will you waver between is Baal God or is Jehovah God? How long will you go between the two? If the Lord is God, follow him, but if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. They were caught up in the problems of their day and being driven by trying to find pleasure in this life. I, I would say to you that this is a parallel between what we live in today. The society and even the church. Remember, Elijah is talking to the people of Israel, the children of Israel. If God is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. They had gotten caught up in the concerns of the day and their eyes off the Lord. In other words, their faith had not, was not real to them. The reality of God was wavering in their heart. And Elijah said to the people in verse 22, I alone am, a, am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let us give them two bulls and let them choose one bull for themselves. Cut it in pieces, lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. Then you will call on the name of the Lord your God's and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people, are you out there? Did you hear that? The God who answers by fire is God. And so all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. And Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one bull for yourselves and prepare it first, for you are many. And call on the name of your God, but don't put any fire under it. So they took the bull which was given them and they prepared it, called on the name of Baal, from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, no one answered. And then they leaped about the altar which they had made. And so it was at noon, Elijah mocked them. You've been at this all morning. Cry aloud, for he is a God. Is he meditating? Maybe he's busy. Maybe he's out on a journey. Maybe he's sleeping and you need to wake him. So they cried out all the louder and cut themselves 
as was their custom, with knives and lances until the blood gushed out of them. All in the name of pleasure. And when midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no voice, no one answered, and no one paid attention. We live in a day where people are trying to get attention, they're trying to have a voice, and no one's really paying attention because they're crying out in the name of self, in the name of pleasure, in the name of vanity. Everyone wants to be heard. Everyone wants and feels like they have a right to be understood. Facebook has created a society in which everybody deserves to be heard. Everybody has a right to be heard. And everybody's trying, groping in the dark with blindfolds on to find their voice with no success because they're crying out to the God of pleasure and the God of success and not the God who answers by fire. If you want to discover your voice, if you want to discover something that has meaning and something that people will pay attention to, discover the God who answers by fire. So Elijah said in verse 30, come near to me. So all the people came near and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Let me just pause. What did Elijah do before God answered by fire? He repaired the altar of the Lord. If we want to see God answer by fire in the day in which we live, the first thing that must be handled is that there has to be an altar built. The altar of your life must be repaired. The altar of prayer the altar of sacrifice. Romans tells us, brothers, I beseech you therefore to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord, which is your reasonable act of service. God is saying to us today that we have to repair the altar, rebuild the altar of prayer and self-sacrifice. The, the altars of Baal were full of lust and seeking after their own selfish desires. And the altar of the Lord is built on self-sacrifice. The altar of the Lord is built on prayer. In Elijah, verse 31, he took the 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come saying, Israel shall be your name. He rebuilt the altar and he did it based on the foundation of the word of the Lord, the name of the Lord, the name that God had given to his people. 
He built it on God's word and his promise. When you go to rebuild the altar of prayer in your life, the altar of self-sacrifice, we do it on the stones of his promises. We rebuild it on the on the word of the Lord. We rebuild and reestablish his word as a priority in our life. If you want the fire of God to fall in your life, you must build the altar with the foundation of his word, the foundation of his promise. With the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two big old bags of seed. And he put the wood in order and he cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. Notice how meticulous Elijah's being as he prepares the sacrifice. He's being intentional and he's following the direction of the Lord as he prepares the sacrifice. You cannot haphazardly prepare the altar. You cannot haphazardly come in, throw, throw yourself, throw the sacrifice on the altar without considering the direction of the Lord. It was meticulous, it was intentional. And he says, fill four water pots with water. I want to know where in the middle of a drought, where they're threatening to kill the animals, is he getting this water? And these are large water pots, there's four of them, and he tells them to do it three times. Twelve potfuls of water on the altar, coinciding with the twelve stones of the tribes of Israel founded on the name of the Lord. He said, do it a second time. They did it. Do it a third time. They did it. So that the water ran all around the altar and it filled the trench with water. I want you to see what's happening here before I jump into where I really want to go with this. I, I want you to just maybe prophetically see what's happening here in the day in which we live. That it, the altar has to be rebuilt. The altar has to be restored. It has to be built on the word, the promise of the Lord. It has to be established in prayer and self-sacrifice. It's there, If you want the fire to fall, the altar has to be prepared. If you want the fire of God burning in your life, the altar has to be made ready. There's no other way. There's no other method. There's no other formula. It is all about the altar of the Lord. God always responds when an altar is built. The only way for us to see God move in our region, our country, our church, in your life, an unprecedented way is by building an altar. There's no other way around it. It may mean that there's things in your life that have to sacrifice. 
But like Elijah told the people of Israel, how long will you waver between two opinions? Is God God or is Baal God? Do you, do, do you really want the fire of God or would you rather stay in, in the Baal worship? Pursuit of your own pleasure, pursuit of your own sin, pursuit of your own delight. Caught off in, in the problems of the day. Or are you going to build an altar to the Lord? Is God God? And if so, you have to build the altar the way that he said build it. There's a cost to building an altar. When, when, when Elijah said, let's build an altar and see which God responds, there's a cost to that. Initially, there's, there might be a little bit of cost of your own pride, your own ego. Your own ego. It's, like, it's like Noah out building an ark. What are you doing, Noah? Oh, it's getting ready to rain. The earth's going to flood. People look at you crazy. They don't understand why you have to make time to be in church. They don't understand why you're going to revival weekend. They don't understand why you, you pray and talk about Jesus all the time. Why you listen to that worship music all the time. Why don't you listen to the garbage? Why, don't, why, why are you always speaking words of faith and talking about Jesus? Why are you always talking about the word of the Lord? There's a cost to building an altar. But if you want the fire to fall, you've got to build an altar. Now, I, I wasn't planning on going into all this. I, I have handwritten notes that I haven't touched yet. So you just have to bear with me. I may preach this all afternoon. Who knows? Some of you are laughing because you know I might. But he's, he's built the altar. What does he do? They build the trench and he, he's, he sows some seed. What did he do when they built the altar? He sowed some seed. He put the seed around the altar. Two big old bags of it. Where your treasure is, where your treasure is, there's your heart. So when you build an altar, it's going to cost you something. When you build an altar, it's going to cost you something. You have to lay out your offering before the Lord. Put your seed on the altar. And watch what God's going to do. You want the fire to fall on your resources. The fire of God to touch your finances, to touch your resources. Got to get the seed on the altar. And we keep going. So he gets the seed out on the altar. And then he pours out the water pots. It reminds me of Jesus in John chapter 7, standing up on the great day of the feast when they're literally pouring out water pots, big old water pots. This is what they did on the great day of the feast. They'd pour out big water pots of water, the feast, to celebrate. And Jesus, while they're pouring out gallons and gallons and gallons of water. Jesus stands up in the middle of the feast and says, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. 
You, you're watching the priest offer a sacrifice, but I'm offering you living water that will flow out of your innermost being. Reminds me when, when Elijah is standing there pouring out the water, it reminds me about the Holy Spirit, the river of God, the person of the Holy Spirit who's pouring out gallons and gallons, immeasurable supply of his presence, his copiousness, his presence, the abundance of the Lord being poured out upon our life. That's what Elijah is. It's, Symbolic. So you're building an altar. You've got to be saturated in the Holy Ghost. If you build, if you go out, it's bonfire time. If you want to go out and build a, a big old bonfire, I have a problem with getting fires to start. So I have something called kerosene hanging out in my, hanging out in my shed every once in a while because the wood gets wet. So you need, you need something to help get that fire started, right? We, we use kerosene, but God uses water. <laughs> we, we use kerosene, but, but God, the, the fire will fall and be sustained when the Holy Spirit is consuming your life. When your life is saturated with the Spirit of the Lord.